As you know, over the last 12 weeks, well, a little bit longer than that because I had a break there going to Japan, uh, but over the last 12 parts or sessions, we were looking into the book of Colossians. The letter that Paul wrote to that church which was in Colossae. And we looked through it, doctrine. We saw how the dangers came into that area of Gnosticism and all of these things that attacks a church. And Paul went right through all of that and he came to the point where he then gave them instructions how to live this life, practical instructions. And today we finish this book. We come to the last part of this book. It feels as if I'm leaving a good old friend on a train station and I'm taking off. But it's not so because we still got the word with us, don't we? But we have to listen from it. We are going to look today at helping hands. Helping hands. And this is where Paul is going to stop. Paul is going to talk a little bit about this. The passage we are looking at today is seldom preached in churches. It's because it is just a list of names. And for some people, a list of names is boring. Who wants to sit there and read through a list of names? But the fact of the matter is, is that these names were written down in our Bible. Now, the Bible itself says that the whole book is inspired by God. In fact, if you look at that passage, it says it's breathed. It means God breathed it to life, the whole Bible. So my view is that if these names are in the Bible, God wanted it to be there so that you and I can learn from them. And the lesson today is that these names are there and they are helping hands to a ministry. Um, you see, these names, when people read over them, as you're going to see, it's not common names like John. You know, if you look in the phone book, John is always there, isn't it? John, or Dear John, or Joe John, or all of these things. It's not common names. It's not like Andre is also a common name, isn't it? Um, and a lot of names, it's, just called, it's these names. And people read over the theme and they go, it is so difficult to pronounce the name, so I'm just going to skip it over. Read through the Bible and skip it over. But brothers and sisters, there are so much blessing within these names as you're going to see as we're going to unpack them. So we look at that and we wonder why do God put them there to inspire us? Helping hands then. I want to say first of all, church is not a one-man show. Who knows that? We look in the world today and we see churches who's a one-man show. For some of them, it's all about the man who's standing behind the pulpit. And it's his show that he's running. May I say this morning, that man is but deceived. And the people who's following him because he's a one-man show, is but deceived. Church is not a one-man show. If you look at Jesus Christ when he came, he wasn't just a one-man show. He got 12 disciples to follow him. And it became what? He established what you and I are sitting in today, the church. So it is not this one man thing, you know, we go to that man's church, it's God's church. And it's important to realize and understand that. We are all servants to Christ and fellow servants to one another. 
You see how I've used those words there, we are servants. What does a servant do? It serves somebody. Now, we serve God and we serve one another. That is what a helping hand is. We serve God, first of all, then we serve one another. Brother Andre said it at the table. He said, if we have fellowship with God, we will have fellowship with one another. This is, uh, it, it wasn't only his words that you realize. It wasn't his words that he used. He used the words that John wrote in the letters of John. In 1 John chapter 1, John says that. He says, where our fellowship is with God and our fellowship is with each other. The problem comes, if this fellowship breaks down between you and God, that's when you struggle to have fellowship with your brothers and sisters. And you find better fellowship in the world. Why? Because in the world you've got somebody who's got something common with you. Something that you agree with, and that makes you friends. Friends is not what brothers are. Brothers are closer than friends. That's why you are my brother and my sister in the Lord. It's not a one-man show. We are servants to Christ. We are fellow servants to one another. And also, it's comforting to know that when troubles and difficulties comes into your life, we have fellow Christians who can care for us. Who knows this? Come on, put me your hand. Who can testify of this? Who is that one brother, that one sister, that when difficulties walk into your front door, they stick. They don't walk out the back door. And this is that. This is the difference. A brother sticks closer than a friend. And this is why God, when, he, when, he, when Jesus came to this earth, and with the plan of God, it wasn't an after plan. In, if you go back into the times before, God already knew He was going to establish His church on this earth. Why? It's kunuinia, like my brother said. We all come together. And what do we do together? We fellowship. And what is that? We help hands with one another. So beautiful. And this was evident in Paul's ministry, as we will see. You see, when Paul, at this point in time, when he wrote this letter, he was sitting in jail. He was sitting there chained to a Roman soldier. And this is what I mean. These men, as he's going to name them now in the next few passages... While he was in his difficult time, where were they? They were with him. They were carrying him. They were encouraging him. They didn't turn their back on him. They didn't do what Job's friends did and point the finger at him and say, You sin, that's why this is happening to you. They didn't accuse him of anything. They carried. This was Job. But for Paul, this man of God, when he was sitting in chains, they came and they helped him where he was sitting. So let's get into the Word and see how Paul writes it down. He says in Colossians chapter 4 verse 7, he says, Tychicus, or Tychus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. Remember, he writes this letter to Colossae. He's sitting in jail. And now he tells them, this brother whose name is Tychicus, He's going to come there and he's going to tell them all the news about Paul. In verse 8 he says, I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. So who is the stickers? Again, that's not the name Paul, is it? 
You know, I, I struggle saying it sometimes. And I believe his stickers is standing right here next to me this morning. He will quiet me and he will give you the right way of saying his name. May I just say, I'm looking forward to be in heaven. To meet, first of all, my Savior Jesus Christ. What a day that will be. But you know why also? I would love to meet Paul. Who would love to meet Paul? And I would love to meet David and Moses. But you see, here's the thing. When I hear people, they say, Oh, I want to meet David. And what about Moses? And what about Abraham? These, and what about Adam? And, you, and, and think about this, Eve. What about meeting them? But man, I'll tell you what, dear brother and sister, I would love to meet this brother. I would love to meet this brother, whose name is Ticus as well. You see, for God, there's no respecter of person. He's not looking at us in this place and he goes, you know what, I like that bread guy more than I like that, that Eugene guy. He doesn't do that. God doesn't have favorites. I know you've been preached this. I know you've been told this. But God has no favorites, dear friends. He loves me with the same love that He loves you. Where is the evidence? The cross of Christ. He hung on the cross for who? For everybody who came to that cross and submit to that cross. Did you submit to the cross? Did you repent? Did you bow the knee at the cross? So did I. And you know what love He gave you? He gave you agape love, which is a sacrificial love. So did He do for me. Can you see? I would love to meet this man in heaven one day. This man, uh, the word for Tychicus means fortunate. And he's, it is known that this man is most probably an Asian. He's an Asian. Now, if you think about that, if I came from Africa, what am I called? Come on. An African. Um, if I come from Asia, I'm called an, an Asian. Oh, that's easy. <laughs> if I come from Australia, I'm an Australian. I'm an Aussie. Yeah, okay. Wait, wait. I'm an Aussie. <laughs> you're not an Australian. You're an oi, oi, Aussie. And if I come from South America, <laughs> what do we call Oscar? Argentinian. Argentinian. <laughs> But you see, here is the thing. Back, back in the days, there was not this diaspora which we see now. I mean, I, although I'm from Africa, I'm of European descent. If I fill out my forms, I say European descent. But I'm an African by birth. I went to New Zealand. That's why I'm now called, and I've got a New Zealand citizenship. I'm now called a Kiwi. Yes, mate. Hey, bro, I'm a Kiwi, bro. Hey. And now I'm in Australia and I'm trying to do good on you, mate. I'm an Australian, mate. But, but here's the thing, friends. Now it's easy to mix it like that. But back in the day, these people, where they came from, that's where they were. This man was found in Asia. Now I know, I know these people like Israel Vision and there's a cult in South Africa who says there's only South Africans, white South Africans who will be in heaven. I'll tell you one thing. They are not just deceived. They are blatantly wrong. They are wrong. God's body is made up of what? Of all colors, nations, and everything. How wonderful is that? When I read this, I say, praise the Lord. This man here, his name is Tychus. He's from Asia. Look at Acts chapter 20 verse 4. And Sopather. Think about that name. Sopather. 
Who is going to have a child born again? What about giving that name for your little boy or your girl? <laughs> Supather. He says, Supather of Berea accompanied him to Asia. You see? They accompanied him to Asia. Also, Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians and Gears of Derby and Timothy and Tychicus. There you go. And Trohimus from where? From Asia. So this man most probably was an Asian in the fellowship. How wonderful is that? One thing that we know about this man is that he was employed as a messenger. That is what Paul used him for. I know when people come into the ministry, man, a lot of young people, man, they are so eager to do what? To preach. Oh, man, if I can just stand behind that pulpit and preach to the scores of people. But you know what Paul did? He took this man and he said, you know, I'll make you a messenger. Send you around. And he was going to be uh, giving that letter to the, place, the, the people, the churches. But you had to be trustworthy to do that. Trustworthiness, friends, is not to be found in our world anymore, is it? Come on, you tell me. It's not to be found. Paul picked this man because he was trustworthy to do this. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Antichus, I sent to Ephesus. With what? With the letters. And he says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21, which is parallel to Colossians, he says, but you, you may also know my affairs and how I'm doing. Ticus, there's his name again, Ticus. A beloved brother, faithful minister of the world, will make all things known to you, whom I have seen to you for this very purpose, that you may know my affairs and may have comfort in your hearts. Now, this is the amazing thing. If you go back into the history books now outside of the Bible, you pick up this name, Ticus again. Here is a messenger, and you can say that, a messenger boy to Paul. Paul gives him these letters and he says, all you need to do, Ticus, because you are so trustworthy, I'm going to send you to take these letters all over to the churches. And some people might look at that and go, wow, you know, a messenger boy to him? But not Ticus. He saw it as a trustworthy thing to do. And the Bible says if you, are, if you are faithful in the small things, what will God do? He will put you over the many things. See what happened with this man. History tells us that Ticus became the bishop of Chalcedon. What is a bishop? It's an overseer. Let people not fool you. It's not a very special person. It's only another name for an elder. So he did eventually, after he did all of these things for Paul, he became a minister of a church. He pastored churches. How wonderful is that? What am I saying this morning? If you sit there and you say, oh Lord, just use me, but you know what? I, maybe you say, I can't be the preacher behind the pulpit. I will never stand behind the pulpit. Oh Lord, I can't speak in front of people. That's what Moses did, isn't it? Don't fear. God has got a work for you. He's got a place for you to use your helping hand. Like tickers was they taking around these things. But here is the big thing about this man. Why do I want to go and meet this man in heaven? Because of his characteristics. First of all, he's a beloved brother. You see how Paul puts it? He says, beloved brother. He's not only a brother. The glue here that ties him together, dear friends, is what? Love. Beloved. It's the glue from God that ties us together. 
It's not just a brother. It's a warm-hearted, dear brother. I mean, it is wonderful if somebody comes to you and says, Hey, brother. And so, but if they come to you and say, Dear brother. Just that little word, dear, there. And if he says, Dear beloved brother. Man, that goes a little bit further. That's the glue that ties it all together. He says he's a dear, beloved brother. And then he says, a faithful minister. You see that? He assesses the quality of his work and he combines it into one word and it's the word faithfulness. What have you learned about this man so far? Number one, he's trustworthy. Number two, he's faithful. He's faithful. He calls him a faithful minister. Now notice he calls him a minister. Now it's not to say that he was a preaching minister, but he was in the ministry. The ministry that God laid upon him at that point in time to, was to do what he was doing. But faithfulness. How wonderful is that? If my life passed here and you can say these things, it would be wonderful to say a dear brother or a beloved brother who was faithful to the end. This is Paul who cries out. He says, I'm going to race this end till... I'm going to race this race till the end. All the way, this man was faithful. Now, I love the next characteristic about this man. He was also a fellow servant. Now, who is writing this again? Paul. Paul says about this man, he is a fellow servant. It tells me one thing about Paul, and it tells me one thing about this man. The thing that he tells me about this man is that this man came in and he said, You know, Lord, I just want to serve in any capacity that you want me to serve, Lord. If it is going to be to carry this man's letters around, I will do that faithfully, trustworthily. And then, Paul comes on the other side as this teacher, as this apostle, as this man of authority, and he brands this name, main man as a fellow servant. And you know what it shows, dear brothers and sisters? The equality of brothers. The equality of all of us. I started today saying that this is not a one-man show. And there Paul shows it to us. This is so evident for us. You see... The first century church model was the best model we had because there were no church hierarchy in the church. In other words, you get the council, the church council, then you get the pope, and uh, it's not in our church, but you get the church council, and then you get the pastors, and then you get all of these, and if you want to talk to the pastor, you've got to go to this person who goes to that person who goes to that person. There are churches who operate like that. You haven't got an open door to the pastor. You, you need to make an appointment to see him. Not with Paul. Paul says, no, we are equal. We are fellow servants. And, and this is what it is. No, there's no one more important than another. You see, he never called himself. Paul never called himself a bishop. Have you noticed? He called himself an apostle. Why? Because an apostle was appointed by whom? By God. But he never stood up there and he says, Oh, brothers, just everybody stands up when the, when the bishop walks in. It'll be cool, isn't it? Eh? Think of that. You know, if you sit here and I walk into the room, and everybody needs to stand up. There's an important man now walking into the room. No, it didn't work that way. You see, if you want to come into God's ministry, and, and if you want to come in God's kingdom to lead, you first need to serve. 
And this is what Paul is doing here. There's no one more important than another person in the church. Let it be known. I'm not more important than you. Dear friends, let me tell you today, out of my heart, I'm just privileged to stand here in front of you and bring God's word to you. It's not a right. I've got no right to stand here behind this pulpit. None. Are you, I've got absolutely no right in myself. It is a privilege to stand here and to preach God's word. And you know who I'm accountable to? First of all, to God. I'm accountable to Him. And you want to know who also? To you. Listen, we serve God and we serve one another. Is that right? So I'm accountable to God, but I'm also accountable to you. And so, my dear friend, you are also accountable to me and everyone in this church. There's no hierarchy here. There's no special people here. Oh, I thought I was going to come into your church and become a special person. Uh, sorry, the wrong church. No, we are equal here. Now, God do give some people talents and gifts to lead. But it's not something you stand on as a right. In Romans chapter 12 verse 3, listen to Paul. He writes to them, he says, For I say through the grace given to me, to every man that is among you. Is that all of us as well? Yes. He says, every man not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Oh man. Oh dear. That is a problem in the world, isn't it? We always think I'm better than the other person. Oh, no, no, I don't think so. Let me prove it to you. Don't you sometimes go out and measure yourself against somebody else? You go out, if I could only look like that, or, or they've... And we all, we, that's our nature. We try to do that. But Paul comes here, he says, look, don't think of yourself more than you ought to think. Why? Because we are all one before God. According as God has dealt to every man in the same measure. You see, I don't hear Paul call himself a bishop. And, he, and I didn't hear him walking around telling people and say, Now you need to call me Apostle Paul. Have, have you ever read that? He walks around and he says, Now you need to call me bishop. No, he didn't do that at all. No, no, friends. You see what he did? He calls himself a fellow worker and a servant. And now, because that's established in his ministry, he sees the man tickers the same as him. That's what he does. That's humility. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 8, Jesus says, But be ye not called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all you are what? Brethren. That includes you sisters as well. <laughs> Everybody's brethren. Now I want to believe, dear friends, what the Bible believes about church leadership. What is the church leadership for us? It is God is the master through Jesus Christ. He is the, he is the, the chief shepherd of this church. I bow to Him as you bow to Him. And then we have an eldership. An eldership is, is appointed by God to what? To oversee the people. And then we have the church. And that is what it is according to the Word of God. You see, this man Paul, we think about him, everybody followed him, all these men, but he gained respect from these people by doing what? By loving them. He gained their respect. 
He could have walked in there and, and with a stick he could have said, I'm the apostle and you all have to listen to me. And whatever I say is this and whatever I do is this and whatever I do. He could have done that because he had the credentials from God. But he didn't choose to do it that way. What did he do? He came in and he loved them and he treated them with courtesy and respect as equals. That's what he did. That's how he earned their respect. And he had... And, and this is the amazing thing about Paul. He had this vast knowledge, didn't he? He was a very clever man. He studied at the university. He sat under Gamaliel, one of the best teachers back in their days. And he came out. He could have, man, walk in there and just, oh, I'm so puffed up with my knowledge and I know, and teach from that platform. He could have done that. But he didn't do that. Because of reference and because he came to them as equals, he went down and he, he taught them from that platform where everybody is equals and he knew how that worked. You see, he gained their respect. And then what happened? They gave him their voluntary submission to help in the ministry. There's no bosses here. There ain't bosses there. He was the minister. And they supported that ministry. How wonderful is that? Now there's another man he mentions in verse, four, in verse 9. He says, With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will make known to you all the things that happened here, which are happening here. Now Onesimus is a very interesting man as well. Because this man we read about in the book of Philemon. You remember? He was a runaway slave. And the scripture tells us that this man most probably was taking money from his master when he ran away. He was stealing. And uh, Paul led this man. He, how wonderful is it? This man came in contact with Paul and most probably Paul led him to Christ. And he repented. Now what needs to happen? He needs to go back. There is sins that when you do them, you need to go back and make restu restitution. You need to go and repair what you've broken. And what does Paul do? He sends him back. He sends Onesimus back to them. And we read all about this in Philemon. Let me just read to you the letter that, that Paul writes to the master of the slave. Now, if you were a slave back in those days and you ran away from your master, what was your penalty? Death. Death. Remember, this is under the Roman rule. What would they do with slaves? Slaves were like no humans there. They would throw you into, in, into, the, in, into the beak and lions will come and they will kill you with the Christians. As a slave, you had no rights. This man took money from his master and he ran away. He had a price on his head to be killed. So Paul says to him, you have to go back. You have to go, even if it's going to take your life, you have to go back. But then Paul does something wonderful. He writes a letter to the master of the slave. And we've got it in our Bible. So wonderful. Let's quickly read it. He says it there. Philemon chapter 1 verse 8. He says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Look at him now. I'm making my point over again. He says, this is Paul writing, he says, I can be bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. So, Philemon was a Christian. And Paul, in, he says, look, 
where I'm standing as, a, as an apostle, I can command you to forgive this man. And you have to do that. But he's not going to do that. He comes as an equal to him. He says, yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I'm not going to command you. I'm going to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man. I love that, isn't it? You know, an old man. And now a prisoner also for, Jesus, for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. Oh man, I'll tell you what. There could have been Christians back in that day or people going around and saying, Oh, that slave, you know what he needs to do? They need to throw him in, in you know, to be killed. They could have said, How can he? All of these kind of things. You know what Paul calls this man? He's, he's a thief. Paul calls him his son. Why? What changed? He came to the cross. He came to the cross. He was saved. He held nothing against him. He says, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he, this is now talking about Onesimus, was useless to you. But now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Let me just, let me just pause there for a minute. He says to him, he says, when he was with you, formerly, he was useless to you. Is this correct? Yes, because the heart, man's heart wasn't with his master. He wanted to run away. He had his own agendas. He, he was a thief at heart already. He was going to steal the things and run away. But what changed? Now he came to the cross. And now Paul says, this man, if you take him back, he's going to be your best servant ever. That's what he says there. He says, but now he's going to be useful to you and to me. And now he says to him in this letter, I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred not do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be compulsion, but of your good account. Can you see that? Beautiful letter, isn't it? He says, look, I'm going to send him back. I could have helped him, but I can't. You have to restore what was broken. So we've got Ticus, Onesimus, these men were with him as helping hands. And now we find in verse 10, three men. He says in verse 10, Aristarchus. Don't you love these names? Aristarchus. It sounds so manly. Aristarchus. My fellow prisoner greets you. With Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you've received instruction, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are in the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. So these men are all Jews. These three. Because he says there that they were of the circumcision. They were Jewish believers. But here is the thing about them. If you look at this man Aristarchus, uh, in Acts chapter 19 verse 28 we read about him. He says, when they heard that they were in strains and were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, so the city was filled with confusion and they rushed together into the theater, dragging them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were with Paul in his travelings. This man was traveling with Paul. And they went on the missionary trips, and he was with them, and the people got so angry at him, they grabbed him and threw him into jail, into prison. For the faith. Faithful man. 
Wasn't afraid to stand for that. We don't read more about it. But man, I want to get into heaven one day and meet Aristarchus. And say, you know what? I've preached about you one day at Carum Downs. So good to be here and just talk to you. I would love him to tell me a little bit about his life. Isn't it wonderful? Friends, we are living in a society where it's all about us. I'm important. It's important for me to know about you. And this is him. The other man is Mark. I want to talk to you a little bit about this man. He was called John Mark. He was the cousin of Barnabas. He says it right there. Now we learn from this man that he went with Barnabas and Paul on their first missionary journey. And halfway through the journey, he became homesick. And then he decided, I'm going to go back to Jerusalem. Well, that's not a helping hand, is it? You just go through the thing, everybody, and when it, the going got tough, what does he do? He ran back to mummy. It is said, it is said, no, it's true, it's, it is said in history books that he was a son of a widow. And they were, they were well off, they were well looked after. And, and it's believed that, you know, he might have come to this point and he said, you know, it was good at mummy's house, I'm going to go back. And he ran back from the missionary field. So he let them go. So when... Paul wanted to go on another trip, and Barnabas was wanted to go with. Barnabas said, "Let's take Marcus with us." And Paul said, "No, we're not going to take Marcus with." And dear friends, there was a big disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. Big disagreement. Who knows that you can have disagreements in church? It will happen. Friends, in churches, there's different personalities. There's different people, and at some stages, you might see something blue, and I see it red. There's a confrontation there. And it happened in the bad church as well. In this particular case, the conflict between Paul and Barnabas was about this man, Mark, John Mark, who ran away from the, mission, from the missionary. And it was so fierce that they split paths. Paul says, well, I'm going to go my way with Silas. And Barnabas said, oh, well, then you go your way, I'm going to go my way. And there was a split between the two of them. And the amazing thing is, and unfortunate thing is, you don't read a lot about Paul and Barnabas together again after that. In fact, Barnabas sort of, you started hearing less, less, less from Barnabas. I don't know what happened. Is Barnabas going to be in heaven most? I would love to sit with Barnabas and talk with him. But here is the thing. Mark was the cause of that whole fight. So Barnabas and Mark went their way, and then Paul and Silas went their way. And then 13 years later, we read this. This is amazing. Now, he is, Mark is with Paul. And what I read in these verses as well he sends him to them and he says to them in commas, he says, about whom you've received instructions. Now I don't know what those instructions were. Nobody knows. Maybe when he left them back then, Paul might have come around or people might have asked about Mark and he might have said, no, he left the missionary. Maybe this news spilled out that there was this conflict between Barnabas and Paul and it might have reached them. I don't know what instructions there were, but I love the following words when he says, he says this, he says, if he comes to you, what do you do? Welcome him. So maybe, 
Maybe the instruction was that he was not welcome, but now he's welcome. No, I'm speculating here. I'm leaving it over for interpretation, I know. But the wonderful thing here is that you see that there's unity that is restored between Mark and the Apostle Paul. And he says, welcome this dear brother. And then he says also, there is Jesus. And back in the day, there's a lot of people whose names were Jesus. That's why they say Jesus from Nazareth. And everybody knew it was that one. But this man who is justice, and all we know about this man is he is a Jew. And we continue on to verse 12. There is this man Epaphras. Verse 12 says, who is one of you, a bond servant of Christ. He greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayer, that you may stand perfectly and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he was great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. One thing we know about Epaphras, and we've dealt with him through this whole letter, we know that he became the pastor of those churches in those areas. But man, I love this. When he said that he fervently prayed for you. He was a man of prayer. If you want to do a ministry for God, the biggest ministry you can start with is the ministry of prayer. Pray for one another. Pray for me. Pray for the church. Pray for your brothers. Pray for your sisters. I hear somebody they say, oh, it's so difficult to even pray five minutes. Well, do this thing. Take a list of the whole church if you can't pray five minutes, okay? And all you do, listen to me, is close your eyes, say, Lord, I want to come to you this morning or this evening and I want to commit all these people on this list. And you can even go so far as to name them out, okay? Name each and every one of them. And say, Lord, today I pray that you bless them and help them and strengthen them. And you can say, Amen. That is if you're not a prayer. If that, that is if you say, oh, I'm struggling to pray. That's a prayer, isn't it? Don't go there and pray and say, Oh, Lord, I want this today, and I saw that beautiful car. Oh, it would be great to have that car, Lord, and I want this, Father, and all. It's all about you then. But if you go out there and you say, Lord, I want to just pray for these people, mention them. That's what I do. Brothers and sisters, I pray for each one. I'm going to pray for you, David, because I've met you today, dear brother. I'm going to pray for you this week. I'm going to mention you now. I don't know you, but I know one thing. God knows you. But I want to mention your name before God and say, Father, I don't know what's going on in Anon. In Anon. Did, I, did I say it wrong again? We know. I better write it down, we know. I'm going to pray this week for you, brother, although I don't know you. But yeah, how wonderful is it? And here he says it. He says, this man Epaphras was the same. He prays for them fervently. He continued praying for them. And it is so wonderful. And then... He talks in verse 12 about Luke, the beloved physician. He's a doctor. And Demas greet you. You see these names, these helping hands with Paul? We know that Luke was a doctor. And Luke also wrote the gospel that is in your Bible. It is the only Gentile author in the New Testament. The only one. He wasn't a Jew, but he followed. He followed Paul wherever he went. And that amazes me. Here's this man who studied to become a doctor. He was a doctor by profession, but he followed Paul wherever he went on his missionaries. And what did he do? He supported him. He supported him. How wonderful would it be to have a doctor going over in your missionaries? Oh, doctor, I've got a little bit of a pain in my knee today. Can you have a look at that? But not only by that, 
He prayed for him. He helped him. He supported him. And it is most probably that he wrote one-fourth of the New Testament. But friends, then we find this man called Demas. Demas is interesting in this letter. Look at this. When you see it, he, he talks about Luke, a beloved physician. And then he talks about Demas and he just says, Demas greets you. That's all. That's all he writes about this man, Demas. No beloved brother, no faithful, nothing. So what happened? So we go back and see what we can learn about this man. Demas, we find in Philemon chapter 1 verse 23 that he, he, he writes to Philemon, he says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Now when he writes this letter here, Philemon, it was written before Colossians. So in this letter, he calls Demas a what? A fellow worker. You notice that? Then we come now to the time that he writes Colossians, and he calls him just Demas. Not fellow worker, not beloved brother. So I want to say, what happened? Where's the love? What's going on here, Paul? Is he a beloved brother? Or what is it going on? Well, it is actually a very sad story if you think about this man, Demas. Because Demas, dear friends, we read in another passage as well about him. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9, he writes to Timothy this letter. He says, Be diligent to come to me quickly, Timothy. I want you now to understand where Paul is sitting, and this is to me a hard cry for somebody to come and fellowship with him and also to be a helping hand. He writes this letter to Timothy. He says, come quickly to me. For what? Demas has forsaken me. Demas has forsaken me. Now, just think a little bit about this. Demas was there as a fellow worker. So was John Mark, remember? John Mark went with him and Barnabas. What did John Mark do? He turned away. He ran away. He forsake Paul as well, didn't he? But Demas did the same thing. And you think, why are you so hard on Demas and not on John Mark? Well, the scripture tells us that. He says, having left the present world and has departed for Thessalonica. So what is going on in Thessalonica that he went there? It was the lights of the world. He didn't do the same thing that John Mark did. John Mark went away because it got tough. This man went for something else. He went for the love of the world. He backslided. Now the amazing thing is this. I find this absolutely fascinating. He was sitting with Paul, Demas. One of the most, if I can use that word, profound teachers of the New Testament. The one who wrote most of the books in your Bible. Demas was sitting under his ministry and he went cold. Under his ministry. He can't turn around and say, you know, I was deceived. I had, I had strange preachers. No, no, you had Paul. You listened to Paul's messages. You read Paul's letters. But what was more for him? The world, he says, he loved the present world 
and has departed for this city. The city which you can call a Sodom and Gomorrah, which you can call where there was depravity. And that is the sad thing. If you look at the two, John Mark and you look at Demas, he just greets him in this letter. Finally, brothers and sisters, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 15, we find this name. He says, Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphas and the church that is in his house. He says, Greet them. And how wonderful it is. You see, back in those days, they had church in their houses. And I believe in future, we might have to go back to church houses, uh, house churches, house churches. So, have I got it the wrong way or anything? Okay, you get what I, you get the drift there, brother and sister. But I believe, you know, there will come a time where they'll come and drive past you on a Sunday morning and walk in here and say, what's going on here? You're not allowed to preach the word. And we will have to go underground like in China and many places. Now, these people had to go underground. Yes, they were. They were persecuted for what they believe in. After this, Nero will come in and kill a lot of them. A lot of them. In, in the most horrible ways. They will take some of these people and put them on, on poles and, and light them, put their bodies to fire to be lamps for the city at night time so people could see. It's horrible. It's horrible. But you see, the, the thing, dear friend, is this man opened up his house and people were now in his house and there was a house. He says, give him greetings. And then he mentions in verse 16, he says, Now when this epistle is read amongst you, see that this is read also in the church of Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Now we know, as I've showed you before, that that letter from Laodicea disappeared. We don't know where it is. That letter, it's gone. The letter from Laodicea. We've got a letter to Colossae, to Ephesus, but this letter that Paul mentions there, it's gone. We don't know where that letter is. And like I said in that sermon a few months ago, I reckon that that letter might have been infiltrated by the Gnosticists and watered down, and he didn't make the Bible. And it says in verse 17, And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. So that tells me that this brother wasn't doing what he ought to do. There's all these people helping hands, but this brother wasn't doing it, you know, I don't know what the ministry was, but he says, take heed. Take heed. You're not doing it. Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may be fulfill it. This salvation, salutation, by my own hand. Now this made a lot of people believe, which I believe also, that Paul didn't write physically each and every letter with his own hand. This I believe that he sat down and he had like a secretary who wrote down as he told them what words to write down. But when it comes down to the last passage, when he wrote these names down of these brothers, he says this, the last part here, I wrote down with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. Remember my chains. That's all he said about him. Just remember my chains. But if you want to understand, dude, look, we can preach a whole sermon around that. Remember my chains. Maybe we should preach it and, and the title will be Remember My Chains. I can see a sermon like that. But you have to understand what it is. He explains the chains before in Ephesus. It's a little bit of it in Colossae. He talks about these chains. 
It wasn't, and when he says this, remember my chains, it's not to think of him, of this poor man who's, who's moaning and groaning about the chains. No, he bears the chains, not with a pride of the world, but with reverence to God. He says, remember this. Now, friends, what is it with all of these names? Why did he put all these names down? Because the Lord knew that we're going to get together at Karam Downs in 2018. And some of you, we're going to meet for the first time. How privileged. You know, I always think about this if I, if I think we are sitting in Australia. And I think, where did I come from, Lord? I was born in South Africa in a mining community. My dad worked in the gold mines. I could have stayed there, worked in the gold mines. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not diminishing them. But here I'm in, in Karam Downs, and I've met so many wonderful people. So from different, from Argentina, from Aussie land, and from New Zealand, and from, you know, wherever, Malaysia, from India, wherever. This is the helping hands that God put together. And we need to serve one another. As, as we serve God, we need to serve one another. What does it mean? It means that if I go through this church and I see my brother and sister struggling, instead of going over to them and just rub their shoulders, oh, I'll pray for you, you know, you know I'll pray for you. Instead of doing that, lift them up, carry them. What can I do for you, brother? What can I do for you, sister? Because a brother is closer than a friend. Isn't it right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you, Father, that we could learn from these men. Each one of them has got a testimony.